We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Are you a broken vessel, weighted down with discouragement, illness, or perhaps a disability? Well, take heart. Whatever your burden may be, God offers treasures that will transform your life. Hello, dear listeners. You're listening to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. And here are your hosts, Paul and Tabitha Norris. Is anything more refreshing to the soul than a circle of godly friends? Whether we're delighting in new friendships, strengthening old ones, or resting comfortably in present ones, Christian friendships are among the blessings we hold most dear. I would venture to say there's one particular kind of friendship that can be the most challenging and yet most rewarding, the cross-cultural friendship. Joining us this morning to share their story of cross-cultural friendship and discuss their new book, beloved authors and friends, Gary Chapman and Clarence Schuler. Gary and Clarence, welcome to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. We're excited and honored to have you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We're excited about chatting with you. We recently had the joy of reading through your new book, Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides, One Relationship at a Time. We'd like to congratulate and thank you for this timely and well-written book. Well, thank you. We uh, both enjoyed writing the book. Uh, Obviously, it grows out of our own friendship with each other across uh, racial lines, and uh, we're hoping it's going to be a challenge and encouragement to many other people. What inspired you to write Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships? A lady years ago asked me in a city that has some racial tension, when she heard about my relationship with Gary, she said, the two of you need to write a book. And so uh, about your friendship, she said, I think we help a lot of people. And so, you know, Gary writes a little bit. So I was trying to get on his on his calendar. <laughs> and so uh, so we talked about it and he was such a humble guy. First, he felt like he wasn't qualified. Then I kind of said, we need to do something. But then you know, God opened the door for us and we both agreed we need to write it. And so that was sort of the inspiration and is basically... The book talks about our our story, but it's much more than that. And it's not a binary story. It goes beyond just black and white. But I, but really, we just inspired by one lady say, I think if you tell your story, I think we help a lot of people. And as Gary and I have spoken together a couple of times, I've actually seen that's really been surprising to me, uh, the positive response we see from people when we speak together. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, I think both of us were fully aware of the racial tensions that exist in our country today. And uh, they're not new. Uh, Our friendship began over 50 years ago and and racial tension was certainly present in those days, the late sixties. But I just think we both felt this is the time that we need to write on this topic because if we don't learn how to relate to each other across racial lines on an individual level and a personal level, we're never going to solve the discord that's in our country. Hmm, so true. You know, many of us as believers understand the importance of initiating cross-cultural friendships, but so often we don't know how to navigate mm-hmm. through conflicts and differences or how to build relationships that will actually stand through storms. And the way you addressed these topics from a practical and biblical standpoint was not only refreshing, but inspirational too. Well, you know, I think it's interesting uh, as you talk about conflict that 
and these are generalities, but in general, certain cultures tend to want to avoid conflict. And then other cultures tend to want to dive in right ahead. And it's almost like being married. You know, typically one spouse may want to avoid conflict, the other spouse wants to do it right away. And so as we took that in consideration, it's really important to deal with the conflict, but also understand even your approach to conflict, because sometimes even your response to conflict can cause even more problems if you don't understand it. So we really think communication and prayer are really just important to have that. And I, and I think the other thing that Gary and I really believe is that you can be friends and disagree. You don't have to agree on everything. Mm. So, uh, so I think that's important. Yeah, and I think also, you know, we have to recognize that anytime you have two humans who come together and try to have a relationship, they're going to disagree on some things mm-hmm. because we're all individuals. And so conflict is a necessary part of any deep human relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's learning how to work through those conflicts and listen to the other person's perspective that helps us continue a friendship, even though we may disagree on something. And I just want to join in that, you know, um, I, I tend to parallel the cross-cultural relationship to being married. We have a man and a woman together and their differences. And when you, as Gary said, when you listen to each other and talk to each other, one of the benefits of conflict is not so much to win the conflict, but to really understand. And when you understand, uh, you might come to a conclusion, this is really important to him or her. I didn't realize that, but now it is. And so now you base your friendship based on the fact that's an important issue to them. It may not be that important to you, but it is to them. And so then becomes important to you and it impacts how you relate to each other. And so I think that's important because now when you handle conflict correctly, you usually learn at least one thing about the other person that you didn't know before. And that actually builds intimacy and more closeness in the relationship. Hmm. Gary, long before you became the best-selling author of The Five Love Languages and Clarence, before you became the president and CEO of Building Lasting Relationships, the Lord blessed the two of you with an unexpected and wonderful friendship. Tell us your story. Yeah, I uh, one of my friends uh, who, was, who was black uh, in 1968 was invited to go to this church. That was a predominantly white church. And the church had built a gym. And we're in North Carolina. And in North Carolina, you have basketball, tobacco, and Baptist, you know, pretty much in that order. And so, uh, and so I went with my friend to this church, um, so it'd be his body. Also, we love playing basketball. So he went there, a bunch of girls invited him to come to the church. He was going to integrate school. I was going to all black school. And so once our parents allowed us to go, and that's a whole nother story, uh, but once they allowed us to go, um, we went there and he saw the girls that he knew and started talking to them. I didn't really know anybody, so I went to the basketball court. And Gary came on the basketball court and what really surprised me is he introduced himself and was very respectful and friendly and sort of made me feel, hey, it's gonna be okay. So he made me feel safe. And so uh, that's really how we met it, just at that event. And then we continued to come for go, or at least I did for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after that first uh, session, you know, when Clarence and his friend walked in, there was about a hundred uh, kids there that night, uh, all of all of whom were white, you know, and uh, these two black faces walk in, 
and some of our adult leaders who were there looked at me and pointed to them like, you know, hey, do you see that? You know, (laughs) (laughs) this was 1968. okay, and segregation and integration that just really was just kind of getting off the ground in the south. And uh, so I just kind of motioned to them, you know, everything's all right. You know, it's okay, It's okay. And so after the meeting was over that night, I just said to each of them, I said, hey, guys, we're here every Tuesday night, and you are always welcome. And uh, so they, as Clarence said, they responded. And uh, Clarence said not just that friend, but he brought other friends and uh, just really became a part of our youth group. So that's where it, that's where it all started. Studies suggest that when people are able to choose friends, they select pals who are most similar to themselves. You know, the old birds of a feather flock together. It makes sense that we tend to favor people who share our values and personality and culture. Why is difference essential in God's design? Well, I think God is, um, it's kind of amazing. He's all about diversity. If you look at Genesis 1, when he does the creation, he's doing all these different things. But I think the key, if we want to understand God's diversity, is that his diversity always um, deals with our differences. But the differences required to be successful to have unity it requires an interdependency. And so when God brought me together with Gary, I don't know if he needed anything from me, but I needed a lot from him. And so, but there's an interdependency and you learn from each other and you grow together in that process. So, so I think that the differences God created are quite beautiful. If you look around creation and even the different people that he created, they're all beautiful, but we're just different. Mm-hmm. To glorify God, he, there's really an interdependency, and that creates a unity, I think, that glorifies God. I think also, you know, the biblical picture of the human body, uh, you know, the, the Christian church is, is the body of Christ, and it uses the picture of the human body, you know, that we're not all hand. We have two hands, we have two eyes and two ears, and we have feet, and and the Bible describes that it, all of these differences work together as a unit. Uh, and so that's the way the body of Christ is. We're all different. We have, we have different races, different cultures. We have different interests. We have different abilities. And, but we're all a part of the one body. And if we recognize that, then we see the value of differences. It's not that everybody has to be like me. But, uh, you know, each of us is bringing a different thing to the, to the table, as it were. So I think if we understand that, then we don't allow differences to divide us. What we do is try to, to learn uh, the differences and learn from each other and then encourage each other you know, to reach their potential uh, for God by learning how to use their gifts and their talents and their abilities to reach out and touch other people with the love of Christ. Amen. What would you say have been the key ingredients in cultivating your friendship to be strong and lasting? I think one factor is that we, at least for us, uh, our friendship really developed around uh, our relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clarence was not a Christian when he walked in that gym that night, but about a year and a half or two years later, we went on a weekend retreat, a youth retreat, and he and a friend of his came on that retreat with us, and it was on the retreat that he actually personally accepted Christ. And from that juncture, I thought, you know, this guy's going to want to follow Christ. So uh, yeah, I'm a leader in a church. I want to help him do that. So we st- he started not only continuing to come to our youth meetings, but we, he and I uh, started getting together uh, many times on Saturday mornings 
and just studying the Bible together, you know, praying together and encouraging each other. And I think it's it's that reality that both of us were committed to Christ. We wanted to grow. We wanted to encourage each other and help each other. And so our friendship focused around our relationship with God. Uh, and I think for Christians, that that's really what the focus should be. Now, you can have friendships across racial lines if you're not a Christian, to be sure. Uh, but I think for Christians, our whole life is focused around Jesus Christ, his teachings, what he did on the cross for us, his resurrection, and, you know, just our personal relationship with him leads us to be involved with people of different races and cultures. Mm, so true. Yeah, I think for me, it was, it was, you know, like you said, I wasn't a Christian. And so I knew about Jesus. I memorized John 3.16, but, and I sang in the youth choir and had been baptized, but I didn't have a personal relationship with God. That, I never got that from the church I was going to, even though they may have preached that, but I was sort of mischievous, so I might not have been listening when they said that. <laughs> but uh, but then when I met Gary and and, and his mention on that retreat, accepted Christ, that was a whole new world. That's a, just uh, this big adventure. I'm 16 years old. But then also, too, there's this huge curiosity about this white culture that had been taboo and you didn't have friends who were, who were white and no one in your community was white. And there's, and so, so now it seemed like Christianity, or at least what I was learning, my relationship to God was now not only teach me how personal relationship with him and growing in that, but also it seemed to bridge, well, I don't know bridge, but it, it opened the door, this entire new culture that had been previously um, uh, forbidden. Hmm. And so, so there was a lot, so that was, as a 16-year-old, I was really curious, and then also watching my parents respond to that as I'm going back and forth across these racial lines uh, in our culture. So it was, it was, it was really fascinating. It was different. It was exciting. Um, it was two new worlds, so to speak, for me. Well, Clarence, in Chapter 6, you tackled the topic of friends are not colorblind. This section was really yes. thought-provoking. Uh, two parts to my question. In what ways can this word colorblind be misleading? And how would you advise we respond to the idea of being colorblind? Typically, when I ask somebody, when I'm teaching a diversity session, it's not uncommon to hear people say, I'm colorblind, or just in a local discussion, I'm colorblind. And I will ask a question if they're in a seminar. I say, well, what color is that? And then your shirt, and they say, well, it's blue. And I say, well, time out. If you know your shirt color is blue, how are you colorblind? Mm-hmm. And their intent is that <laughs> their intent is that for most of them, not everybody, is they say, I don't want to see difference. And I don't want and I want to treat everybody the same. Right. And I said, Well, I say I appreciate your heart. I think it's a great idea, but one, God created us differently and everybody's not the same. Right. And so we have to understand difference, which doesn't mean superior or inferior, but that's important. And some people have been wounded, particularly people of color who've been wounded. When they hear a white person say they're colorblind, they tend to wonder, well, do they see me? Mm-hmm. And they can really be offended. Am I invisible to them? I'm not important. Or if I'm colorblind, if we're all the same color, do you see me as white? So, and, and so it's, so I think it's unintentionally can create some problems that people weren't intending to, to do or say. Uh, for some, it's defense mechanism. I think, you know, the goal of our differences is not uniformity, but unity, or conformity, but but unity. 
is is trying to, like I said earlier, it's really based on First Corinthians chapter twelve, and Gary alluded to it earlier that our differences, God designed to make the body stronger, but He wants the body to work together, and it only comes to that interdependency that we need each other, and together we're better for God's glory than we are apart. Right. So I would say colorblind typically is not the best word to use when you're trying to try and make a statement. You know, if you want to treat everybody the same uh, or with respect, I think that's important. I'd be friendly. That's important. But but not everybody's the same. We need to need to learn that. Does that make sense? Yes, that's a great point. Yeah. Gary, you wrote love is the most important word in any language and the most confusing. I think that is so true that that word love takes on so many meanings. How should we model love in a cross-cultural friendship? Well, I do think you're right to make the point that uh, the word love can mean many different things to many different people. People say, for example, I love hot dogs, or I love pizza. (laughs) I love my new car. I love my dog, you know. (laughs) And then we say to a special someone, I love you. You know, what is that supposed to mean? Uh, But I think uh, the biblical concept of love is that it's an attitude. It's a way of thinking and then a way of behaving. Love is the attitude which says, I want to enrich the lives of the people whom I encounter. Uh, God is the best example of that. You know, the fact the scriptures say we love God because he first loved us. Mm -hmm. You know, he reached out to us and sent Christ to reveal himself to us. And so, I think biblical love is an attitude. It's the attitude that in my encounters with people, I want to be the kind of person that will enrich their life in whatever way I can. Sometimes that means listening to them, you know, asking questions and listening, getting to know them and expressing interest in them, which can ultimately lead to a friendship. Uh, But I think that's, it's not a feeling. It's not a warm, bubbly feeling. Love is a way of thinking. And uh, when we have an attitude of love, then it will show up in our behavior. We will do things and say things that are designed to enrich the life of the other person. And this, I think, is what really uh, makes a friendship, a long-lasting friendship. It means that if we do disagree on something, we're going to hear each other out. We're going to not try to force the other person to see the way we see it, but we are going to try to understand their perspective. And uh, we're not going to allow that to keep us from trying to enrich each other's lives. And uh, each of us have different abilities, as I said. Uh, but whatever, with whatever abilities I have, if I have an attitude of love, then I want to use everything I have to enrich and help the other person. And if they have that attitude, they have the same attitude toward me. They're trying to do everything they can to help and enrich my life. Mm-hmm. And when two people have an attitude of love, you can build a really long-lasting, uh, deep personal friendship. And that then helps you as you relate to other people of that race or that culture. Because now you understand them better and you know how to communicate to them in a better way and how to communicate you know, love to them. Uh, so... Love, love starts with an attitude, and it leads to behavior. So applying what we've learned from you today, what steps can we take to start building cross-cultural friendships? Probably the first two, I think, to Gary and I suggest, um, is one, I would pray about it. You know, I, I really think, you know, before I haven't always felt this way, but I think now if we don't build those cross-cultural friendships, I don't think there's going to be a mass movement 
that's going to improve race relations. I think it's going to be one relationship at a time. Right. And so I think we pray, you know, First John 5, 14 and 15 says, you know, if we're confident that he hears us, whatever we ask, and we ask for anything that pleases him. So I think we pray according to his will. God's will is that we become one, not the same, but but a unity going the same direction. I think the other thing is, um, in Proverbs uh, 18, 24, New King James, it talks about, it says a, a man or one who has friends must himself or herself be friendly. And so I think we need to seek to be a friendly person, and a friendly person can often attract other people. Uh, what attracted me to Gary was he came to the court and he was friendly. He initiated that. And just in answering a lot of the question before about love, he modeled that to me. He not only played ball with me and treated me with respect, but then once he introduced me to Christ, well, when he asked me to come back, which was a big deal in 1968, but then once I became a believer, he asked me to come to his house. And then we, and we studied the Bible. But then one time he asked to come to the house to have dinner with him and his family. Well, in my culture, when you invite us to come to your home, hospitality is a real big deal, particularly people of color. And so for him to invite me over, that was a real big deal. So he he actually modeled uh, loving me. And as he made those steps, he made me feel safe, that he cared about me and what was important to me. Um, you know, as, as, as I built this initial relationship with him, as we build this relationship, especially early years in our relationship. Yeah, we also talk about the word courtesy. And the word courtesy comes from two Greek words. One means the mind, and the other means friend. Hmm. So it's to be friendly-minded. It's to treat people as you encounter them as though you would treat a friend, as you would treat a friend. Uh, so, for example, if you're pulling into a parking a, a lot, and you see an empty space, uh, and you see a car coming the other direction, and you know, and you think they're headed for the same spot. By nature, we speed up to beat them to the spot. <laughs> but if we can, if we considered that person to be our friend, if we knew them and they were our friend, we'd let them have the spot. So, if we treat people that we encounter as though they were a friend, it it's the first step in in a possible friendship that can come out of that. And I think uh, I think the next step then, of course, is actually having a conversation with that person. You know, we most of us have acquaintances of a different race or culture. You know, maybe at work or at school or in sports, uh, and we we run to have these people, and we say, "Oh yeah, I know George. He works where I do. He's he's a friend of mine." What that means is, I see him in the morning and say, "Hey, how are you? Fine. How are you?" You know, <laughs> but uh, it begins with a conversation in which you're asking questions and getting to know the person. And then you take other steps like Clarence mentioned in terms of maybe having lunch together, inviting them over to your house, uh, any, anything, you know, just like just uh, treat them like a friend and they may well become a friend. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we hope this book is going to encourage people, as Clarence said, first of all, pray about this. Lord, you know, uh, lead me to someone with whom I mm -hmm. can develop a friendship and they can enrich my life and I can enrich theirs. And then you begin treating people as though they were a friend and having conversations and it's step by step. Friendship is built one step at a time, but we have to take the first step or we'll never have a cross-cultural friendship. Yes. Mm. When and where can our audience find your book? Well, they can actually uh, order the book right now on Amazon. Uh, they could pre-order it. Uh, 
to Amazon or, or go to HopperCollins website or Zondervan. Uh, <clears throat> and it's actually released on June 7th. So, uh, yeah, so either one of those ones, but Amazon or, or June 7th is released. So I think it should be pretty much everywhere you want to get it, just any bookstore or those that still exist. <laughs> but so it, it, it should be pretty easy to find. All right. We'll be sure to include that information in our show notes. Gary and Clarence, we feel that friendships that God has given us are a little taste of heaven on earth. And one day in glory, we'll be with those from every nation, tribe, and tongue singing praises to our Savior. So why shouldn't we begin enriching friendships across those ethical barriers today? I think that's the key question. And that's really the question we're asking in this book. Mm-hmm. As Christians, we should be the leaders in building cross-cultural friendships. Uh, and that non-Christians can certainly do this as well. But we have we have a motive, you know. We have a we have a mandate uh, that we are to relate to people who are unlike us because we're in the same family as Christians. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in fact, the, one of the questions we're posing in the book is, what if every Christian in this nation or any nation had at least one close personal friendship with someone of a different race or culture? We believe it would make a tremendous difference in the in the overall culture if we had these kind of personal uh, friendships. Yeah, I agree with that. that. There would be so much more understanding if we had those cross-cultural friendships and conversations, and it just opened up so many doors for so much learning on, bo- on every side. Yes. Well, thank you both so much for being with us today and challenging us with your story. Well, we enjoyed being with you and enjoyed chatting with you. You guys keep up the good work of encouraging people. Well, thank you, and thank you for your ministry. How about you, dear listener? What strengths have you gained from a cross-cultural friendship? We love to hear your stories. Leave a comment for us on our Facebook page at BVHT Podcast or on our website at BVHT ministries.org. Thanks for tuning in today to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. It is our hope and prayer that you will find the grace and goodness of God even in trials. We'd love to hear from you and your feedback is important to us. You can reach out to Paul and Tabitha with comments, questions, or to share an episode with a friend in need through our website at bvhtministries.org.